Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster and Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. Corporations have balance sheets. Smaller companies have balance sheets. And you should too. I'm Patrice Sikora with Joe Patterson, a financial planner with Foster and Motley. But Joe, I always thought balance sheets were just for the big guys in business. They're not? Yeah, that's a great point, Patrice. Uh, a balance sheet, you know, quite simply, is a statement of assets and liabilities. So we hear about it most commonly with corporations uh, and publicly traded corporations, of course, are required to disclose that information. But we find the balance sheet tool to be quite useful. Uh, on the personal finance side. So again, think of a balance sheet, quite simply, a statement of your assets and liabilities. And sometimes we'll call that a net worth statement, right? That's the sum of your assets and liabilities. All right. So talk to me about assets. What would be on this list? Sure. Most commonly, you think first of financial accounts, right? Bank accounts, savings, checking, uh, retirement accounts. So those could be IRAs. They could be your employer-sponsored retirement plan. Then we think also separately about brokerage accounts. So if you have an account at an investment custodian, deferred compensation plans, HSA, some type of financial account should go into the financial account section on your balance sheet. And then what else do you have here? I mean, I, I see you've got property listed. I wouldn't think, I mean, yes, it is an asset, but to put it actually on the balance sheet, how do you... How do yeah, you, you know, we... When we think about property, you know, real estate's the most common. Uh, real estate kind of broadly falls into two categories. Real estate that you own because you need a place to live, right? Uh, your personal residence, real estate as an investment, which can take many different forms. You know, it's easy to argue that real estate as an investment should go on your balance sheet, right? Because you have, in theory, invested capital uh, with the expectation of earning income uh, or capital appreciation or some combination of the two. Uh, but your house is an asset, right? If you go and buy a home, if you're, if you're lucky enough to be able to buy a home in, in today's market, uh, you put money down, right? Commonly that, that is 20% at a minimum. That 20% is an asset, right? Because if you put 20% down, buy a new home and you have a mortgage, the net of the difference between the value of your home and the mortgage is an asset. You know, we tell our clients, and, and I'll tell anybody, you, you know, you don't buy your personal residence as an investment for the most part, but it, it may end up being that it turns out to be a real valuable financial asset. So again, we have one section on your balance sheet that says, hey, here's your assets. So we would put that house in real estate. Another section down below that says, hey, here's your liabilities, which would include the debt on that real estate in the net is is a positive, hopefully a positive value on your balance sheet. That would be a very good thing, <laughs> especially for the house. What exactly. About, what about collectibles? How do you value that? Yeah. So collectibles, again, come in many forms, right? Um, do you collect coin, anything, artwork, anything that, that, you know, you can mark a value. And when, you know, we talk to clients about this one thing, we think about one way to think about it is to say, okay, is it something you have listed on your insurance policy? If so, it's probably worth putting on your balance sheet. Good point. So, you know, my, uh, my watch, which is not uh, an expensive piece of jewelry, but technically qualifies as jewelry. I don't have that insured as a separate line item with a schedule. 
Uh, so it's not on my balance sheet. But if you have uh, inherited Rolex from a previous generation, that's probably an item that A, you should insure. Uh, that's a whole separate conversation. But B, that should go on your balance sheet. Uh, that's a collectible item with material value. And what you do with it in the future, that's a separate conversation as well, but it is an asset, right? Someone will pay you money, you know, material dollars for that asset if you decided to sell it. So we put stuff like that on there. Uh, cars is another one that you, know, you might say, well, okay, I didn't buy this car as an investment. And that's clearly true because, you know, minus the last year or two, cars don't tend to appreciate in value with some kind of rare exceptions. But, you know, if you buy a car, it's an asset, right? And what we care about that for more than one reason, not because, hey, I want to see my net worth go up, but because, hey, I want to make sure that assets are titled correctly. Mm -hmm. um, what happens if, to my car if something happens to me? Uh, so that kind of is a reason one of, you know, why should I have a balance sheet? It's a good opportunity to inventory how your assets are titled. And that's kind of part one of estate planning, right? If, if something happens to me, or my spouse, are our assets going to move cleanly by their title without any added aggravation for the surviving spouse? What about business interests? Business interest is a great item to put on balance sheets. And, and for many of our business owners who still actively own their businesses, that might be the biggest item on the balance sheet. Uh, that That's a business that has in many cases, substantial value. It's generating substantial cash flows. And, you know, when you think about your balance sheet, it's any, anything that has real financial value. So clearly a business that is successful in many cases has quite significant financial value. Uh, and that's definitely something we should put on the balance sheet. And whether that's a wholly owned business entity or you have a minority interest in that entity, uh, it should be a part of the balance sheet. Now, you started to mention uh, some liabilities. Your house, if you're underwater, what about some other liabilities that you need to think of? Yeah, yeah. we think about mortgages is the most obvious one, right? Because for many people, that's their biggest debt item. But really, any debt that you uh, and or your spouse, if you are married, owe to any institution or individual uh, should be included on your balance sheet. So car loan, mortgage, student loan, those are, those are common ones. If you have other types of debt, if you took a personal loan, that should be on there. Uh, if you owe money to a family member and you, and there's an expectation that you got to pay that back, uh, that should be on there too. You know, recent example of that is some clients have been able to be in a fortunate situation to help uh, a child or children help buy a new home uh, and have loaned their child assets to make a purchase of a new home. And effectively now that client is the lender. So there's a note uh, with an interest rate and an expected payment. And, you know, for, for our client, mom and dad, that's an asset, right? It's a note receivable for their child. It's a liability, right? There's an expectation of payment on that note each month as, as though they were making that payment to a bank. Is credit card debt included here? I mean, that's more of a, hopefully it's a short-term thing. Yeah. So to the extent that you are paying off your credit cards on a monthly basis, we tend to, to leave that off. 
a balance sheet, right? Because then, and that's, and that is a good point. That's, that's the only manner that we would recommend you use your credit card, right? right. It's just a tool for transacting things that you already need or, and are within your budget. So if I have $2,000 on my credit card, but it's going to pay off on the monthly payment cycle, uh, I would not include that on the balance sheet. Some folks might make an argument that, hey, it is technically a liability. Uh, I look at it as more of a tool for making payment transactions easier. Now, if you have credit card debt that you're not able to afford to pay off each month, then yes, that should be included on the balance sheet. Uh, and, and oftentimes, I, I think it's helpful to list the interest rates on each liability, right? Because, you know, I might not be bothered by a mortgage rate that's a 30-year, 3.5% loan, which is below market rates today, but wasn't a year ago. Uh, but I'd be heavily concerned about a double-digit interest rate on a credit card that's rolling over month to month. And that would be an opportunity to, to discuss priorities of debt repayment. If I were to do this balance sheet and I came up with a negative on the net worth, should I be stomping my feet and crying and running in small circles or is it okay <laughs> it is not that like many uh questions patrice the answer is it depends <laughs> uh, so i sound like i'm punting uh, but but i'll give you an example of of a situation where it's common and okay to have a, a negative net worth and, and the most most common occurrence we see is recently graduated physicians. So if you think about the earning trajectory of a physician, you're in school and you're earning zero, right? But you are having to pay for school and in many cases accruing debt. Uh, you get a little bit of comp, but nothing to write home about as a resident. And then year one is a full-fledged physician out of residency. Uh, you're starting to earn your worth. But at that point, you have not had the opportunity for any material savings, most likely, but you do have a lot of debt. So that that situation is common for, for that individual to have a negative net worth. Now, uh, with good habits, they can turn that around pretty quickly uh, and turn a negative into a, quite a nice positive. But for that individual, again, you know, coming out of a, a, a longer term graduate school situation, you know, I might, might say the same for a young attorney where you've been in school for, you know, seven years or, or more in some cases, and you really haven't had much earnings opportunity in that time, but you got a big student debt loan sitting out there from, from your educational costs. Right. How do you use as a planner, how do you use the balance sheet? Yeah, it's a great question. I mentioned one, one common uh, use earlier, which is titling, um, making sure your assets are titled correctly, but, but to back up a little bit, it, it really, you know, it's a nice inventory. So in, in its, in its ideal form, you know, the balance sheet, the net the statement of net worth is a one page, easily digestible summary of your financial assets. It's categorized. Uh, so bank accounts, retirement accounts, taxable investment accounts, health savings accounts, property, real estate, liabilities of different types, right? Kind of work down the page. So having that gives you a quick usable snapshot of where you stand today. 
So that's helpful um, because generally, if you're financially organized as a household, you you are more likely to have long-term financial success, right? Because just knowing where everything is and and keeping track of it regularly is a good habit to form. Um, So you can periodically take inventory. uh, And part of taking inventory is to say, all right, are all these accounts titled correctly? So when I am reviewing a balance sheet with a client, you know, we will look at their taxable accounts, right? Their non-retirement accounts and say, okay, uh, is this, is this titled in trust name? Uh, if not, is it titled such that it will pay to your trust at your passing? Uh, so it's a good opportunity to review titling and that's an estate planning topic, but the balance sheet is often a trigger for, oh, okay, there's a new account. So you opened a new bank account. Um, did you put a payable on death designation on that bank account? Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, we need to do that. It's also an opportunity to simplify. You know, I have clients who we construct a balance sheet for the first time. And sometimes just seeing that many accounts on a page is, is kind of an interesting experience. And I might ask, well, do you need four savings accounts or, or would two suffice? And we will talk about why there might be a good reason why there's four, or it might just be that, Hey, I have accumulated these accounts. Mm -hmm. Uh, That happens with old retirement plans. You know, if you work for an employer for two years, you open a 401k, you put a little money into it, but you haven't had much time to accumulate, move on to another employer. And, but the old one's still there. Uh, we see that very commonly. So we'll ask, does, does it make sense? It might make sense, uh, but it might be an opportunity for consolidation. So, so putting everything on one page and taking an inventory allows us to ask questions uh, and perhaps gives an opportunity to simplify. Uh, and then another thing you can do with your net worth, and it's particularly uh, valuable, I think, for the uh, young physician example, uh, is we can kind of take an inventory each year and track growth over time. So uh, to see that, you know, sometimes significant negative net worth number turn not only into a positive, but into a material, nice positive number, uh, <laughs> it feels good f- for those folks. And it should, uh, because, you know, they're, they're making good decisions and, you know, seeing a return on their, on their investment of time and, and money in the form of tuition payments. It reinforces good habits. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. The big question then, how should one go about creating this balance sheet? Sure. Uh, that's a great question. And I think it's a function primarily of what are you most likely to do and then follow up on uh, like many habits. So there are many online tools that will aggregate your financial accounts into one place. Uh, that is nice for the folks who are tech savvy or tech inclined, let's say, and aggregate by aggregate. I mean, you have one login uh, and you can pull in the value of your different accounts from a bank, from your investment custodian, from your 401k and have them listed all in one place and have the values update automatically. So that's, that, that removes a barrier, right? Because if I create one on my own, let's say using, let's say I use Excel, which is perfectly satisfactory. Uh, I do have to go in and plug in all the values by hand if I want to make a change. 
Some people like doing that and, and the process of doing that, that's perfectly fine. Um, if you use an online tool that, that you find helpful uh, and link your accounts to that tool, then you can get a running total at any given time of, hey, here's what my balance sheet looks like. Again, there's desktop options. You can use Quicken. Uh, you can use Excel. Um, those are more or less manual input depending on the program. And I still have folks who come in with good old fashioned paper. And that is still better than nothing because it forces you again to go through the process of taking inventory uh, and, you know, making sure that everything is up to date and making sure you have a handle on where all your accounts are. Uh, so again, I like digital tools for myself, but that's just me. A lot of those tie into apps on your phone. If you're into using your phone uh, as a financial tool, like many people are. So, uh, but again, like many habits, the best tool is the one you're most likely to use and then repeat that use. Right, right. The digital ones, somehow I think you'd have fewer options to cheat as well. Yeah. And the digital ones are not perfect, right? Because, you know, what we find with even tools we use is periodically you set up a link to one of your accounts and the link breaks. Uh, oh. And, you know, that usually is a result of the financial institution that holds your specific account changes their security protocols, which is good, right? Because we want the highest level of security in our financial accounts. But that many times results in a little bit of maintenance on your end to go in and fix it. Or it, it results in a temporary period in which the link just doesn't work because institution A is figuring out how to best talk to institution B and so on. So, uh, but again, it doesn't, doesn't mean they aren't good tools. It just means that no matter what the tool you use, there's going to be some input uh, and, and really it depends on what you like to see best and what you know works best for your situation. So Joe, the takeaway from here, do Takeaways. a balance sheet. Yeah, do a balance sheet, take an inventory. So step one is take an inventory or assets. You can't create a balance sheet if you don't know where everything is and what it's worth. So take an inventory. Um, that might be good for anybody to just scribble on a piece of paper or, or a, a Word document or an Excel file. Uh, just to get a list and then decide, you know, look at yourself and decide what's the best tool. Uh, is it an online tool that's an aggregator? Uh, do I just want to stick with Excel because I know it and I, and I use it well? Um, all those are good, are good answers to the extent you're going to use them and revisit them over time. All right, Joe, how can listeners reach you? Because I can see a lot of people thinking, yeah, I really do need to get this done and I need some help analyzing it. Sure. Uh, folks can find us online at fosterandmotley.com. That's foster, A-N-D-M-O-T-L-E-Y.com. Uh, or feel free to give us a call toll-free, 1-800-532-2962. Get your balance sheet together to get a better understanding of your financial health. Talk to the folks at Foster and Motley for more information. And for actionable steps on any number of topics, follow this Foster and Motley podcast about life and wealth, and of course, share with others. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. 
click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.